electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Elon Musk has made an offer to buy Twitter. $54.20 a share at a valuation of $43 billion. Today, we're going to look into, is that the right price? What's the right strategy for the business and the right process? And who's the right leadership? For this company, Twitter's board holding an all hands meeting at 5 p.m. Eastern to discuss the bid. Uh, you know, this is this is quite a story, Julia. I know that you've been talking about it uh, this morning as well. You've been covering, following Twitter for a long time. Back up for a bit and 54.20 a share. Not necessarily a bad price for a lot of people, but there's a question. How's Elon going to going to come up with that money? He, he could sell some of what he's got to to do it, but will he? He, it seems like he is unlikely to do this by financing it all himself and selling shares. We do see some pressure on Tesla shares as a result of that question, but there are really so many questions here, John and and guys, about what's going to happen next. I mean, the, the ultimate question is, what does Elon Musk want to do with Twitter? Is he interested in it as a business venture? He says he can only do with it what he wants if it's a private company, and he is very publicly criticized Twitter's reliance on advertising. Advertising, of course, comprises more than 90% of all of Twitter's revenue. So this is an ad-supported business, and he does not like that. He's also been a big proponent of making it a free and open platform um, for free speech, that public town square, the global town square. So I think the question is, will he pursue this more as a nonprofit vendor? He wants this to be a public utility. And then the question then is, who would he get to come in and help co-finance this? There's a lot of skepticism, a lot of questions about whether the board is going to go shop this around to other potential buyers. Um, and also remember, guys, that Twitter has traded above $70 a share. So maybe this isn't the best offer. Uh, Julia, as you said, there's just so many questions and so much speculation. No one really knows what Elon Musk wants to do with Twitter. Is there even a possibility, a scenario that he would actually take it private and bring Jack Dorsey back? Um, they, we, as far as we know, have a good relationship. We know that what Elon Musk is doing right now is adding a lot of stress to the board. But in terms of philosophy, in terms of business, him and Jack Dorsey could still be on the same page. I don't know. What's interesting, and I've been trying to figure out what his relationship is with Jack Dorsey, is that Jack Dorsey wants Twitter to be something more like a decentralized thing that is controlled by and perhaps even owned by the people rather than controlled by one person. Yeah. Fred Wilson, who, who tweeted out and was an early investor in Twitter, he said this is the opposite of what you want to happen. You don't want to have Twitter controlled by just one person. So I think in many ways, you know, maybe on some issues, Dorsey and Musk would agree. But when it comes to this question of whether Twitter should be controlled by the people or controlled by one person, I would say Dorsey's going to probably disagree with him on that. 
Interesting. Uh, Julia, J.P. Morgan, we've gotten a lot of notes out today from uh, sell side analysts, but J.P. Morgan, uh, we do not expect the offer to be accepted by the board. Uh, the offer is at levels shares were trading at in November, well below 2021 highs. Uh, shares have greater upside if management's able to execute on the plan to innovate the product, grow the user base 20 percent and build out direct response. Uh, that's a long laundry list. That is indeed a long laundry list. It's been interesting, though, if you look at the, the all the tumult at Twitter over the past year. I mean, this is a company that lost its CEO founder, Jack Dorsey. In came Parag Agarwal, who's um, a, a guy who's been at the company for a while, but it is not well known by investors. He does not have a public profile. He's been trying to manage the company. And in the meantime, in the past year, Twitter has rolled out a number of changes, product changes, the introduction of these subscription services, the hint at many other potential revenue streams down the line. And they gave their shareholders a roadmap uh, of how they're going to be reaching different targets in the next couple of years, ambitious targets, both in terms of revenue and user growth. So this is a company that had a plan, a post-Elliott activist investor plan to, to get its business on track. And then here comes Elon Musk saying, I'm not as interested in the business as I am in this as a tool. And by the way, Musk doesn't like the core of, of Twitter's business strategy. So a lot of questions here. And I think that's one reason why we are seeing so, so much skepticism from analysts. Yeah, it would be an unprecedented surrender, Carl, for the, the current management and board to just hand over the reins to Elon Musk and say, yeah, I know you're offering way less than the 52-week high, and you say you have no confidence in management. So here, you, you take it. Um, th they might do that. Uh, may maybe they don't have Judiciary other options. Judiciary duty, though. Well, he says he's got no confidence in the in the board and he hasn't detailed the financing. So it would be I, I, I can't think of a precedent. And I know David Faber uh, this morning couldn't think of one either, Carl. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yep. I think Dow Jones was the one we could think of where you had a big uh, family contingent as well. Uh, sticking with Twitter, our next guest says Musk could soon learn that free speech means different things in different countries, uh, leading to retaliation against both Tesla and SpaceX. Let's bring in Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge and a CNBC contributor. Interesting angle that we really hadn't gotten to yet uh, today, Neil, and that is the ancillary effect on his other businesses. Yeah, look, Twitter is a global platform. I think we all remember the highs of 2010 when we thought social media would bring democracy to every corner of the world. Uh, that was very idealistic. I really hoped that would happen. It didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? Countries around the world realize they have their own laws. Many of them do not have a First Amendment like the United States has. They have other kinds of speech restrictions. And they made sure that social media companies followed their laws. So if you think you can buy Twitter and use it to export uh, the American First Amendment around the world in some way, you're quickly going to discover that those company, the, the other countries have strong opinions about what you can say in those countries in a way the United States is prohibited from having. And then you've got Tesla and you SpaceX like trying to expand in those markets. I, that's just an enormous risk for Tesla shareholders in particular. Yeah, it's a good point, Neil. Not everyone around the world believes in free speech the same way uh, that America does. And even here, it's very divided. Mark Cuban brought up this idea of potential foreign ownership, saying that why wouldn't foreign money come in and buy Twitter for the influence that it brings? Now, obviously, uh, that would have a tough time getting past the regulators. But could that source potentially be obscured? Is that sort of a real fear that investors could be looking at right now? 
I don't know. Investors should be afraid of that as much as the United States government and everybody in this country who cares about free speech. The other thing I would say just very directly to the CNBC audience in particular is maybe you think that there's a problem with free speech on social networks. The answer is definitely not giving more power to one guy. The answer is a market competition. And to say that he can just fix it, that he can unlock Twitter's potential by doing things that no company can do on a global scale himself is just risky. And that creates risk downstream from Twitter to every other company that a lot of people bet on, in particular Tesla, which has to expand in China. And China is going to brook no dissent from its speech policies from anyone, and they will retaliate against his country, his companies. So I just think that the amount of risk that is being created downstream from, I think I should just buy Twitter, is extraordinarily high. And it's not just Twitter shareholders that should be concerned. I think it really is Tesla shareholders. And we've talked about risk and the concerns when it comes to Elon Musk, when it comes to Tesla shareholders, Twitter shareholders. There's one group we haven't talked much about, and that's Twitter employees. I see massive risk for them right here. If Elon Musk gets it, it seems to me like he's going to cut the, the headcount there, right? Like if he's, if he's not going to rely on advertising, he, there's a lot of people who he doesn't need. Uh, there are a lot of costs that he's probably going to want to get rid of if he's getting rid of revenue. But then if he doesn't get it, right, and the stock price tanks, current management is going to be under pressure to cut as well. Um, you know, and so, so how are they going to run this company under either scenario? Isn't that tough in this tight labor market, Eli? I absolutely think so. I also think that if you take a company like Twitter private and you take equity compensation off the table for employees, there's a lot of money in the Valley right now going to a lot of different things. There's a lot of potentially easy upside in crypto startups for a lot of engineers who are very seasoned at building out a community product, which is what crypto kind of prides itself on being. So how do you even manage the brain drain if you no longer have kind of your best compensation tool available as a private company? I don't know how you manage costs if you, you're cutting, but then you have to increase salaries to just match the upside of another public company that's offering equity uh, as compensation. That just seems extraordinarily challenging. Also, fundamentally, what is Twitter's asset? It is the network of people that use it, right? It's the network effect of Twitter. Everyone uses it. You buy it, you take it public, you start making dramatic changes to how it works, you start charging for it, suddenly you might lose that network. That network is not necessarily durable. So I think there's just a lot of risk there for employees. Like, do you want to work on a thing that everyone uses, or do you want to work on a paid service that is getting smaller and potentially lower compensation? Interesting. Uh, by the way, uh, the sell side today, Nile, trying to game out what he might do. Some of these projections are a little bit absurd, but Baird does say uh, we can only assume one of his actions would be to move the company to a state where the local government shares more of his personal views, similar to his move to Tesla. Uh, I guess there's that to consider, too. Uh, yeah, you know, I, the First Amendment applies equally in every state of the union, as far as I'm, I'm told. Uh, that's what I learned in law school. So I don't know that moving it from state <laughs> to state uh, is the solution. Uh, you know, that California is not making speech regulations on Twitter. Um, but I think you might move it to a different country. That's That seems potentially dangerous. At the end of the day, you know, the big kind of conflict in America is between the government which wants to regulate tech companies and tech companies which say we are the stewards of American values and we export them around the globe and that's really challenging. This is one of those moments where I think it's important to say actually having this company based in America and rooted in the American First Amendment is important and that also means uh, that 
it has to survive. It has its own rights. It has its own First Amendment rights in America and can do what it wants in this country. That is a very delicate balance. I'm not sure that any academic or corporation or person on Twitter in my mentions has ever figured it out, but it is the central tension of every social networking service that is based in this country. Yeah. As uh, Twitter shares uh, at the low today, traded above yesterday's high by just five cents. Uh, we're going to watch the street's reaction. Neelay, thank you. Neelay Patel. Always a pleasure. <clears throat> And we're going we're gonna to get to the valuation piece of this. So it's $54.20, the right price for Twitter. And if Musk walks away, what is the right price then? Here to discuss NYU Stern School of Business professor, who is also known as the Dean of Valuation, Oswath Damodorian. Uh, Oswath, it is great to have you on a day like today. Simple question, is that the right price? I know that many have pointed to the fact that it was higher, almost $80 last year. But over five years, the price starts to make a little more sense. And I know at, at, the, at the moment, this story is more a political story than a business story, in my view. I mean, you tell me which side of the red-blue divide you're on. I can tell you what you think about this, this particular, uh, at least potential deal. But I want to talk about Twitter as a business. I mean, nine years ago, when Twitter went public, I valued it. And the story I told about Twitter is it's got lots of users and it can't figure out yet how to monetize them. Nine years later, that's exactly the same story. This is a company that's stuck on the same story for nine years, which tells me that's either a problem with the management, you know, whether it's Jack Dorsey or Parag Agarwal, or a problem with the platform. And I think it's a joint problem. And I don't think that bringing in new management can fix the platform problem. The platform itself, if you think about it, is three things going in it. The first is brevity. That 280 character limit used to be 140. The second is timeliness. You can tweet almost instantaneously. And the third is, it, I think, feeds on impulses. People feel the urge to say whatever's on their mind, and that gets people into trouble. So people come to Twitter for the same reason you slow down to watch a car wreck on the highway, because you see fights <laughs> happening on Twitter. And you know, so when I hear people acting as if Twitter is creating this huge potential plus for humanity, I'd say just a simple experiment. If tomorrow Twitter ceases to exist, would we all be worse off in some significant way? So first, let's stop treating Twitter as if it was some national treasure. It's a company. It's done some good. It's done some bad. I could live without Twitter. I could live with Twitter. So I think we, we need to be could careful about not putting this company in a platform and thinking of it as some national treasure that needs to be saved at all costs. Okay, maybe in terms of the business model, Aswath, but what about in terms of its influence? Would you be sort of blasé about you could use it or not use it, the government should care or not care? Because whether or not you like using it or don't, you can't deny that its influence is huge. And you even said that maybe they're mm -hmm. looking for a white knight to sweep in. It's got both positive and negative influences, right? So when you talk about influence, influence cuts both yeah. ways. So I think Twitter has affected the national discourse, and we can argue whether it's for the good or the bad. So I think that from the point of, has it affected the way we interact with each other? Absolutely. But has it affected in a positive way? I'm still not sure. So I think that somebody might buy the platform for the political influence it can give. And I personally think it's a mistake for us to do it for the same reason that I thought it was a mistake for Jeff Bezos to buy the Washington Post. Essentially, by buying the Washington Post, I think Bezos opened Amazon up to a political backlash. 
And my worry is not about Twitter. It's a tiny company relative to Tesla, but the potential backlash it could create for Tesla, which is, after all, the crown jewel in Musk's holdings. Huh. Well, uh, Aswaf, uh, Microsoft wanted to buy TikTok, the U.S. operations, not long ago. Uh, How do you then think about the value of social networks uh, and whether, uh, you know, Twitter might see uh, another bidder and how investors should think about that in this context. Clearly, Twitter is not TikTok. TikTok has been yes. doing extraordinarily well and hasn't ended up in that bind that you mentioned that Twitter has been in uh, since the, the very early days. But to what degree do, do those comps fit in? I think if you have an established business of substantial value, I would stay away from the social media space as far as I can. I think that what you get as negatives vastly exceeds what you get as positives by buying these big social media platforms. I mean, the companies that are there, like Facebook has no choice but to live in the social media platform, but look at how quickly Facebook is trying to run away from its core business. You don't change your name unless you feel there's something toxic about something you've spent a decade building. That I think is revealing. So I'm glad Microsoft, as a Microsoft shareholder, I don't want them to buy TikTok. I think you're buying more pain than gain in the long term. Yeah, you could certainly apply that to uh, Elon Musk and Twitter. Aswath, as always, thanks for your insights. Thank you. Now let's turn to the business strategy. Will Twitter work as a subscription model instead of as a primarily ad-driven business? That would be a big change that could come with its own risk. Let's ask somebody who knows from inside the company. Vivian Schiller was Twitter's global chair of news, also the former CEO of NPR, now the executive director of Aspen Digital. Uh, Vivian, good morning. Um, There are real costs here when it comes to running Twitter in a moderated way. And maybe we haven't talked enough about costs. We've talked about, well, what if certain revenue goes away and if Twitter isn't profitable for a while, but this would be a major cash drain for Elon Musk and potential partners to to run this, wouldn't it? Well, he's claiming that he wants to uh, eliminate all content moderation whatsoever. So I suppose in his mind, he thinks he can zero those costs out. But of course, it's completely impossible to have no content moderation. There is no such thing. Um, even um, uh, Truth Social and some of the other right-wing um, pretenders to Twitter, they all have uh, terms of service. They all have content moderation policies. Policies, And as Neela explained later, Twitter's uh, explained earlier, Twitter's a global company. So um, there are different laws in different parts of the country, and it's just not possible. If you eliminate all of that, it would quickly become a sewer and would quickly become unusable and destroy any uh, value that was remaining left in Twitter. So that's a, that's a reason for uh, perhaps Elon Musk not to buy it under his current plan. But it's not necessarily a reason for shareholders not to try to offload it at 54.20 a share, right? Well, <laughs> I suppose, look, there's a reasonable conversation to be had about how do you unlock more value from Twitter? Uh, to be sure, it is not kept up. Not yet, I mean, that's the understatement of the day. It is not kept up uh, with its other other big tech platforms in terms of its growth of daily active users and, um, and revenue without a doubt, because Twitter is fundamentally sort of locked into a single incredibly effective model. I think one of the reasons that you have not seen much change in Twitter over the years, I mean, little things around the edges to be sure, is because it works. And anything that you do to undermine that core value proposition of why people come to Twitter and why it's so influential 
will undermine its core value and potentially destroy the entire company. I wonder what you think Twitter's purpose is, because I'm thinking of one example. Let's take the Will Smith Academy Award episode, uh, widely tweeted about in real time. Ratings for that show on linear television really didn't move that much, Vivian. Really what it does is funnel new news to other news outlets. And beyond that, I wonder how much practical value it has, given the fact that the percentage of Americans who were on it is, is small. Uh, yeah, the percentage on it is small, but Twitter's influence punches way above its weight. Uh, whatever happens, I mean, just look at Donald Trump. You don't even need to go to, uh, to Will Smith. Uh, uh, you know, the, the number of people that, that uh, saw while he was still able to tweet uh, Trump's tweets was minuscule compared to the amplification of that message and the power it had and the ways that it ricocheted around the world, not just with the public, but with the most with titans of industry, with world leaders. The influence of Twitter uh, cannot be overstated and it can and it, can, it is not reflected in the ordinary kinds of metrics that shareholders look like look at. Now I understand, you know, that as a shareholder you may want to unlock that value, but uh, there is a real question, and I've seen absolutely no good ideas of how you unlock more of that value without destroying its core purpose, its core intention, and its and its and its core value. Yeah, Vivian, it's such a good point. That influence totally disconnected from how it's valued. And in that sense, it is so hard to know what Elon Musk wants to do with it. If you had to venture a guess, what do you think he wants to do with it? Is this about making money for him, increasing growth, revenue? This is this is uh, Elon Musk, in my opinion, taking his favorite toy out of the toy box and, and, and playing with it and getting exactly what he's getting today, uh, which is uh, a hell of a lot of attention. Um, everybody talking about him. Uh, will this happen? Boy, I would not, I would not bet my Twitter stock on it. I don't uh, <laughs> think will happen. I actually don't have any Twitter stock at the moment, but if I had, I wouldn't bet it. Um, I, I don't believe that it'll happen. I think this is, he's getting the attention that he wants. He's at a very effective tweeter, uh, let's face it, but he doesn't have um, a vision. And just to say, we're going to, you know, amplify free speech around the world is shows an incredible lack of sophistication of what content moderation really means. Huh. Well, if you're not betting on it happening, would that mean selling here or would that mean buying here? <laughs> I'm not actually asking you that because I know you don't have... That, that is the question, right? Uh, Vivian Schiller, thank you. Sure. Happy to be here. We're not going to let go of this. We'll talk more Twitter and Elon uh, in a little bit, including the M&A angle. What's the deal-making strategy here? And what might that mean for investors as we are right at yesterday's intraday high? We'll talk to Kara Swisher on Musk, Dorsey, and all the personalities at play when Tech Check continues. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills.
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter for 54.20 a share is around $43 billion. Even as the world's richest person, though, he doesn't exactly have that much cash in his checking account. Robert Frank has a look at how Musk could finance that purchase. Robert? Well, Dee, you're right. He's worth about $260 billion. None of that is actually liquid. So there are basically three ways that he could fund this deal if he ends up doing it. Now, first and least likely he could sell Tesla shares. Now, his 17% stake in the company worth about $180 billion. If he sold that, that would dump 40 million shares onto the market and reduce his stake to about 13% from 17%. And that fear alone is why Tesla shares are down around 3% today. Uh, Still, Musk has always seen his shares in Tesla and those sales as a last resort. In fact, the only reason he sold that 16 billion in shares last year was to pay taxes on that compensation plan. He could also pledge his shares and maybe his stake in SpaceX as collateral for loans. Now, one time, he had over a third of his Tesla shares pledged as collateral. And he could write off the interest on those loans for taxes, but those loans could also weigh on the Tesla share price. Most likely, he gets financing from private equity, venture capital, or maybe a few of his billionaire friends like Peter Thiel or Larry Ellison. Now, Musk does have about $2 billion in cash from those stock sales last year. Maybe he used that to buy his current Twitter stake, his SEC filing this morning, citing, quote, the completion of necessary financing as a condition of any deal. So, John, he has the wealth. He just doesn't have the money. Yeah. Back to you. But, but he could get it. So maybe not funding secured, but his credit score is, is probably good enough to come up with it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So who else might make an offer for Twitter? Our next guest thinks Elon's in a league of his own, saying the platform's all his, unless Twitter rejects the bid and demands a higher price. Joining us now, CNBC contributor, author, and former M&A investment banker, Bill Cohen. Bill, uh, welcome. But before we even get to the other folks involved here, how careful does Twitter's board have to be about knowing uh, how he plans to finance this b- before looking like they're going along oh they have to you know see the back of his eyes i mean they have to see uh that his funding is in fact secured they have to see that uh his financial house is in order that he can actually pull off the deal and assuming he's offering all cash which i assume he is at the moment that he's actually got it uh together now as robert said there are a lot of different ways he could also borrow money i mean uh twitter has something like let's say roughly a billion dollars of EBITDA, you could certainly borrow a fair amount of money against that uh, to add to the rest of the cash that uh, Elon's going to have to accumulate here. But the problem, Bill, that I can't 
one of the many problems I can't figure out. But the biggest one is he's talking about tearing down Twitter's existing business model. So how is he going to get anybody to come along with him throwing money in when he's not being clear on how they're ever going to get it out? Look, uh, this, this is the biggest risk for Elon Musk here. You know, one of the things that makes Twitter so interesting and provocative and why so many of us uh, are obsessed with it is because sort of like it's a da daily battleground. But if he does a number of things that he's talking about doing, uh, making it a sort of a right wing echo chamber, for instance, or even bringing back Donald Trump, then he's going to alienate maybe half or two thirds of the audience that uses Twitter. And then he's going to be the king of nothing. And then that EBITDA is going to shrivel up. Uh, for instance, one of the things he's talking about is eliminating advertising. If he eliminates advertising, then that EBITDA is going to shrivel up. And the people who lent him money or the money or the borrowed the money that he borrowed to make this offer, he's not going to be able to pay back. On the other hand, once again, he's the world's richest guy. His net worth is $275 billion. If it had to come out of you know, his Tesla stock or his net worth or all the other ways he, make, he has to make money or uh, other things that he's doing, you know, he can probably make good on it. And that's what investors or lenders would count on. Bill, all those things that you just outlined or thought of that could happen if Elon Musk takes control, um, you can see that happening if they did it as a public company out in the open. Doesn't that add more fuel to Elon Musk's argument that they would have to go private to do the things that he wants to achieve in the longer run? Oh, I agree. Uh, going private would allow him to do these things that he wants to do, some of which are crazy, but he has to be careful because, you know, if he does some of the things that he wants to do, even as a private company, he risks alienating the people who make Twitter possible, which is the users. And if he alienates enough of the users, uh, then they're going to drop off the platform. That's, they're not going to have that lively debate that we all, you know, come to know and love, and uh, or love come to know and hate. And <laughs> and that's going to be sort of uh, the end of it. He'll be the king of nothing. He'll he'll have won his prize, but what will the prize look like after he wins it and does the things that he wants to do? So he's walking a very fine line here, I think. So maybe the board, as you suggest, will say, "Show us the money," and we'll see what Elon does. Bill, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. We're going to have lots more on this developing story next. Kara Swisher weighs in after the break. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Quick break from Twitter to get a gut check on Taiwan Semiconductor, raising its outlook after a strong earnings report earlier this morning. The chip manufacturer saw sales up 36% year over year, up 12% from last quarter. TSMC's sales to smartphone chip makers did dip, but demand for chips used in high-performance computing applications 
picked up the slack. HPC and automotive chip sales both up 26%, fueling a $17.6 billion revenue uh, showing to kick off 2022, Carl. All right, John, an historical look at Twitter's valuation is coming up. Pretty interesting. Stay with us. Let's turn to the crypto universe. We're partnering with our friends at NBC News on this. It's been a little more than seven months since El Salvador made Bitcoin a national currency. The country's president has promoted it. But there are two questions people really want to know. Does it work? And does anyone really use it? NBC's Gotti Schwartz spent a whirlwind 48 hours on the ground in El Salvador to find out. Hey there, we are here in El Salvador. This is the first country to take the promise and the dream of Bitcoin and actually turn it into an official currency. These are the ATMs where people load up their phones and they can use Bitcoin to buy everyday things. But how does it work? Hey, we finally got our money two and a half hours later, $199 and one cent. Uh, not sure where the 99 cents went, but uh, money's on our phone. They got special lines for people paying in Bitcoin. Okay, so we got our groceries, but not because we paid in Bitcoin. They said that their transaction had been canceled. It showed that it had gone through on our account. So we're down about $14. This is the second time we've tried to use Bitcoin with Strike Wallet here in El Salvador. And uh, zero for two. Gotti is back from El Salvador and joins us here at Post 9. It's great to see you, man. What an assignment. Yeah. Just talk about what this was like. Well, it was a lot more misses than there were hits, but it was working uh, down in El Salvador. And we saw a lot of signs for a lot of major chains, American chains that accepted Bitcoin. So you had McDonald's, Starbucks uh, saying that they accepted Bitcoin. However, when you went to go pay with Bitcoin, you noticed what, two things. One, no one else was paying with Bitcoin. And two, a lot of times when you did try to pay with Bitcoin, it would take a while. So that grocery store, we went to the grocery store, very stressful 10 minutes as we were waiting for the transaction to come through on their end, it cleared on our end. And so that was $15 out of our accounts uh, that never arrived at the grocery store. And then they told us, sorry, you can't leave with the groceries because we haven't gotten the money. So we had to pay double. We paid for it the credit card. So uh, in terms of actual practical use, when you're talking about currency, you need it to work 100% of the time. And it just doesn't work 100% of the time. Is there a sense that the people want this to get smoothed out? Yes and no. The people right now, they were they were given $30 in Bitcoin when this all rolled out. There is nothing like incentivizing people with free money, right? So uh, when they first started, there was a lot of hype. There were long lines at those cashiers, the, the ATMs. A lot of people just immediately pulled out that $30 if they could. Then there were other instances where people's $30 wouldn't be in their accounts for some reason. Uh, there were other instances where it would take too long for the transaction to go through. So uh, that was six, seven months ago. For the most part, most Salvadorans have stopped using the Chivo wallet and are now using cash. Wow. And, and no government's gone whole hog quite like these guys. Exactly. Uh, I assume we'll see a lot more on NBC uh, and Absolutely. MSNBC. Got it. Great stuff. Uh, Gotti Schwartz. Thank you. D. Fascinating look. As he says, currency's got to work 100% of the time. Meanwhile, we've got much more on Twitter and Musk still ahead on the show. Kara Swisher, she is with us next. Stay with us. Not letting go of the Twitter story quite yet. Let's bring in Recode's co-founder and New York Times contributor, Kara Swisher, who herself has been responding to friends on Twitter. You said all bets were off, Kara, and you were right. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, you never know what Elon's going to do, right? And I, in this case, there could be one of two things. He could be trying to sell his shares and using this as cover, you know, that I tried. I tried to do it. Obviously, Wall Street's sort of thinking that with the price not really rising that much. It's pretty stayed pretty flat. So um, if he's offering 54.20, which is a which is a weed joke. Um, he also, besides being an offer and making it his best and final offer, that could be the case. The other case is he wants to buy it. Um, very difficult. It's very expensive, even for the world's richest man. And I, as I noted before on with you the other night, um, to get this money, he's going to have to deal do with his Twitter shares or find a lot of rich friends. And economically, it's problematic given Twitter's business history. So I'm not sure what's going on here. I think he means it, but doesn't mean it. I, I don't know how to say that. I sound so uh, equivocal, but that's the way it is with Elon. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can see shares now below mm -hmm. uh, yesterday's high, yeah. uh, down about half a percent on the day. Um, you have said that um, Apple probably not interested, but that Benioff has kicked the tires before. I mean, what, what's your sense about other parties? I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's it's a low price for what Twitter should be, right? But it isn't. It isn't. It's So he's making kind of a low ball offer because it was up in 77 in last February and even higher for a lot of the year. And then it declined until he came back and made it go up again. So if if you think of this as one of the few independent sites on the Internet, with which, with, which is high profile, not that big, not a great business, it's one of the few you can pick up for under $50 billion. That might be valuable to a bigger company. That said, it comes with all kinds of hooks, including what to do about Trump and, of course, Elon, its biggest shareholders. And so a lot of companies, I, you know, I got a lot of responses from big companies like staying away from this one. Like, no way. <laughs> Hedge funds and private equity people might see some value here. Uh, I'm not sure. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a big bet. Kara, um, nine days ago, Jack Dorsey tweeted, I'm really happy Elon is joining mm -hmm. the Twitter board. He cares deeply about our world and Twitter's role in it. Parag and Elon both lead with their hearts and they will be an incredible team. Yeah. That last part hasn't aged well, but what strikes me <laughs> about this is this Twitter's a company with many founders who at one time were fighting for influence over, and none of them seem to care about it anymore. They're letting this other yeah. guy just kind of stroll in and jerk the company around. Michael Dell, Steve Jobs certainly didn't let this happen when their companies were in trouble. What does that say mm -hmm. about Twitter and this moment? Well, they did for a little while, right? You don't know what's going on. You know, actually, interestingly, we just taped a pivot episode, and Scott Galloway had a great idea. Is why didn't why doesn't uh, uh, Elon go at this with a DAO in some way? He has so many fans, he could raise the money pretty easily. You know, as Scott says, every dentist in the world would want to be investing with Elon Musk, kind of thing, even if it's not economic. Um, but I don't know. I just it's they've moved on to other things, right? They've moved on to other things, and Twitter's a really hard thing to manage. I, the one thing I'd agree with Elon on is it should be a private company. I've been saying that for years. It can't do what it needs to do as a public company. And that that doesn't matter what you th that it, it should be a free platform, free speech platform, or it should have a subscription, which I think it should. Um, so it, it's it, it, he's right essentially about the problems of changing it. Um, I just don't know if he can afford it. It's it'll be interesting to see, or if this is just a way to sell his shares at at a, at a profit. I don't know. Yes. Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, the CEO of FTX, also had an interesting Twitter thread mm -hmm. on what a decentralized Twitter might look like, how they could monetize mm -hmm. that, sort of this Web3 play. Kara, though, I wonder who might actually benefit from owning Twitter. Certainly Elon Musk has had a lot of benefit from his tweets, sure. considering that his advertising budget for Tesla has been nothing. Mm -hmm. But is there another company that could really harness the influence of Twitter to its advantage, whether that be in big tech or media or something that we are not thinking of. I'm thinking back to Oracle and TikTok. No one saw that coming. 
maybe maybe some of these digital finance companies. I think Sam Bankman-Fried, for example. I mean, it could be very valuable to a lot of people who have kind of crazy money, um, where the stock is out of whack mm -hmm. with where it is. Um, if you're a big company, like if you're Apple, no way are you touching this thing. Like, why would you? Um, and plus, you have to deal with Elon and Trump. No, thank you. Um, you know, Mark Benioff, I tweeted him. He just sent me a smiley emoji. <laughs> That's all I got back from him. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's expensive and a big bet on something that still hasn't proven itself as a business. Um, but you could see some of these finance people doing that and, and doing it in a different way. This decentralized idea was pushed by Jack Dorsey and Parag. Um, I, I do think as a private company, it makes a lot more sense. It's out of the limelight in terms of public thing, public, you know, public attention and scrutiny. Um, at the same time, it's for a lot of, I think these, even if these rich people, uh, especially on the right, on the more right side of tech, complain about Twitter or whoever complains, Losing money is another thing. I think they like money more than going on about free speech. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Finally, Kara, uh, I see Biz Stone, uh, one of the mm -hmm. founders, wished uh, yeah. Ned Siegel happy birthday today, uh, the Twitter CFO. <laughs> and, and we'll yeah. get this employee meeting this afternoon. I wonder, uh, we're going to hear some leaks out of that, don't you think? Oh, yeah, I think employees, I think one of the problems is if he takes it over, you're going to see an exodus. Why They should just go over to Meta. Why do they want to deal with this possible craziness? And by the way, let me just say, Elon has every right, and he has had he has earned the respect around creating something out of nothing, whether it's Tesla or SpaceX. This seems like a distraction. And if I was a Tesla shareholder, even though they love him, hmm. This is this is a lot to love, you know, and they may want they may want him to focus on the things he does best, which are cars and spaceships and the stuff he's done there is astonishing. This feels um, like a side a side hustle in some ways. Right. Uh, well, we did mention earlier Tesla now down mm -hmm. almost uh, three and a half yeah. percent on some of those concerns. Kara, Wall Street uh, knows. We Let me just say <laughs> I trust Wall Street on this one. The stock market knows what this is. So that's what I would look at. Kara, thank you. Kara Swisher. That would be a fun quote to take out of context, uh, but we've all care trust Wall Street. Anyway, a look at social media valuations is up next. Stay with us. Back to Elon Musk's bid for Twitter. You might have heard by now, $54.20 per share. It is trading higher, but well shy of that 54 number. It's actually lost some of those gains, down 1% now this morning. Investors, so they're not really seeing much confidence in this offer, apparently. Our Mark Santoli is looking at the share price performance long-term. What that tells us, Mike, I went down memory lane also. IPO day, that first trade in 2013, 45.10. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so over the very long span of, of Twitter's life as a public company, it has not been a value creator. It was a $36 billion market cap shortly after the IPO in early 2014. It's $36 billion right now. However, almost all of that underperformance relative to social media peers uh, occurred before about five years ago. If you look at the five years uh, up till now, you actually see Twitter has outperformed. Of course, Meta had the massive stumble. So this is a lot about uh, how, how Facebook has done relatively. But even Snap, over this five-year period, even if you go to six years, uh, Twitter has done okay coming off of that low base. It just didn't participate in that real big rush into FANG-type stocks 2014, 15, uh, into 16. So at least, if nothing else, this allows the board of Twitter, and presumably they're looking for a way to build the case to obviously not take this supposed take-it-or-leave-it bid of 50 
5420 a share to say, look, we haven't done that terribly recently. Uh, obviously, the stock was a good deal higher last year before the bid. And of course, this outperformance is even before Elon Musk bought into his stake. It slightly was outperforming those other guys. Uh, again, thanks to Facebook stumble uh, up, up until a couple of months ago before uh, Musk did reveal his stake, guys. Mike, at the same time, when we take a look at valuation, right, especially in terms of that revenue multiple, Twitter is somewhere between an alphabet and a snap. So you could use that argument to say that this is sort of properly priced. Well, there's no doubt about it, Dave. On a fundamental basis, Twitter has never really looked cheap, even though the stock has not performed very well. It's been mostly about the asset value. What are these, you know, a couple hundred million very plugged in users and this necessity, uh, this essential nature of the service? It really hasn't traded on financial uh, terms very closely. And to me, that also brings up uh, some of the questions around Musk's bid. Everyone says, oh, he maybe he'll get private equity. He'll get some financial investors alongside. Well, the math doesn't work very well for this to be a take private transaction of Twitter if you're just talking about the numbers and servicing the debt and trying to get paid back and make a return down the road. Uh, Indeed. And a lot of the downgrades today, I mean, if the stock ever once again trades on fundamentals, point to higher expenses, uh, Russia-Ukraine troubles, and that's why they're cautious of some multiple compression now. Uh, Mike, thank you very much. One shareholder rejecting the bid. We'll tell you who in just a moment. Just when you thought there couldn't be more news on Twitter, Julia Borson has a couple more nuggets. Julia? That's right, Carl. Saudi billionaire Prince Al-Walid bin Talal tweeting just now saying, quote, I don't believe that the proposed offer by at Elon Musk, $54.20, comes close to the intrinsic value of at Twitter given its growth prospects. Being one of the largest and long-term shareholders of Twitter, at Kingdom KHC and I reject this offer. Now, meanwhile, we will hear from Elon Musk directly today. He is speaking at the TED conference. The head of TED, Chris Anderson, tweeting out, okay, we're opening up the Elon Musk interview live, plus another major surprise. Tune in at 9.45 a.m. Pacific. That's coming up in just about 45 minutes. Anderson saying this could be truly epic. It could indeed. I'll be monitoring that, Carl. And of course, we'll bring you guys the latest. Julia, Uh, interesting that you've got this... uh this billionaire kind of pushing the board perhaps in a different direction. I wonder if there'll be other voices. Yeah, we'll be listening. I mean, it's been interesting watching Twitter and seeing some of those early investors such as Fred Wilson weigh in. uh, And and we'll be watching, of course, that meeting that Twitter is having with its employees this afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Not to mention, Julia, of all the earnings that are coming in the coming week, uh, J&J, IBM, Netflix, Tesla is going to be one of them. And we're going to hear him uh, ostensibly maybe talk directly about how his, his main business is going. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the question is how much is all of this distracting from what's going on at Tesla? We've been watching those Tesla shares under a little bit of pressure this morning. But I think investors, whether they're of Twitter or of Tesla, would be very curious to hear from Musk directly what his plan is for this company. Right. At, uh, a huge story today. Definitely pushed the bank's earning, bank earnings to the side. Uh, we'll continue to watch every development. Julia Borston, thank you. Have a great long weekend. Rest up for more earnings and some macro data next week. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.